There is nothing better than a friend, unless it is a friend with chocolate, writes Linda Grayson. To which I say, yes and yes. I know to say I love chocolate seems like a bit of a cliche, but in my case, the statement is very true. If you were to cast me away to a desert island, chocolate would be at the top of my list of the foods that I would need to survive, along with french fries, of course. Now, today's guest, Isela Hernandez, shares my love of chocolate, specifically Mexican hot chocolate, and has in fact made a name for herself with her award-winning line of chocolate, or I should say, chocolate de metate, or stone ground chocolate, that's sold under her label, Hernan. We discuss how she went from the fashion industry to sharing the culinary delights found across Mexico. She's from my hometown of Del Rio, Texas, so it was also nice to get a chance to swap stories of eating across the border in Mexico. I will leave you to it and hope you enjoy hearing from Isela Hernandez. See, um, I can see all my canas really well. <laughs> oh, girl, don't even get me started. Yeah. I know, I know. My mom, I was at my mom's the other day and she happened, I don't know if she, I turned around and she saw the back of my head. She was like, Claudia, mira tus canas. I was like, mom, stop. Hey, uh, mira las tuyas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Anyways, um, okay, well, I'm going to jump in because I know you are a busy lady. So I want to, you know, take advantage of the time I have with you. So thank you again for, you know, just taking the time to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Running a small business, I know, is a lot of work. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. So the thank first you. thing I usually start out asking folks is um, just a way to get to know them and, I don't know. I think someone's food background really speaks to, you know, how they were, not how they were raised, but it speaks to their food journey and where they're at now. So usually the first question I ask is, what is the food background of your childhood? Who was cooking? What were you eating? Who was at the table? Things like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Del Rio, uh, Texas, which is a small town along the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, across the way on the Mexican side is Ciudad de Cuña Coahuila, which is where both of my parents are from. My, fa my father immigrated to the U.S. in his teens, and then my mother came over uh, when she married him in her 20s. But I was born and raised on the American side. Um, but back in the day, as you may recall, the situation on the border was a lot more fluid. And so going back and forth between Mexico and Del Rio um, was very normal. It wasn't something that, you know, uh, was considered back then, you know, dangerous or out of the ordinary. Uh, it was a very fluid situation. And so uh, having said that, you know, that really influenced the kinds of foods that we grew up with. Uh, you know, even though I was born and raised in the U.S., I was still very closely connected to uh, Mexican culture and my heritage. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is that it's not unusual for um, for uh, even though you know we grew up in a, in, a, in a modest household but it wasn't a new it's not unusual in this you know rural town to have these you know, big big backyards and front yards and, and I say that because you know having lived in New York for so long I understand you know a lot of my friends growing up in the city or in suburbs right outside of the city um, you know they, having a, a you know maybe they had a yard if they had a yard if they grew up in New York City they obviously did not have a yard so um, so uh, for us it wasn't unusual though to have a yard and to have trees and gardens and growing in it and so I grew up with the 
with the yard with a lot of a lot of trees, a lot of fruit trees. Um, we had peach trees um, in the backyard. We probably had a good like four to six peach trees. In the front yard, we had two peach trees. We had nogales, uh, you know, specifically pecan trees. So we had a couple um, that still exist today. Actually, um, we also had uh, a fig tree. We had a pomegranate tree. Uh, apricot tree. My parents really, you know, took took um, with a lot of effort into maintaining these trees back back in the day, and in a garden as well, where we grew um, chiles and cucumbers and tomatoes and squash. So, all that to say that it wasn't um, unusual for us to like eat from what was grown in our backyard. You know, we wasn't um, unusual. It wasn't out of the ordinary to sustain ourselves from the food that the earth was making for us. Um, And so, you know, growing up with that and being, you know, exposed to, to being so close to Mexico and having that fluidity back and forth really, I think influenced the way I look at food now and what I do with, with my products. Um, you know, I, I have a couple of really good um, story. I think they're good stories to tell about my my family and and, and the food growing in, in our in our um, yard, for example. So, amongst all these trees that I just described, we also had cactus, and um, which isn't unusual. Uh, my grandmother, uh, also from Mexico, and still very much, you know, back in the day, used to her indigenous customs. When she would take care of us, she uh, and we were hungry as little kids she would take her machete and go to our backyard and cut cactus. And I was fascinated by that because, you know, when you're a kid, it's always like, ay, no te acerques a, a, a los nopales because you're going to, you know, stickers and whatnot. Don't get close to the nopales. So my grandma, this older woman would go out there with her big old machete, <laughs> not only get close to the cactus, but she would like, you know, cut the ears off as of nothing. And it fascinated me. And then she would take them to the kitchen and she would use the same machete to clean off the needles. And then she would rinse the cactus and then chop it up. Finally, throw them into the pan with, um, you know, probably a little uh, oil or or butter. She'd grill them. And as she was grilling them, she would be making tortillas de maíz. Mm right? Fresh tortillas and maíz, not even using a, 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 a tortilla press. She would press them down with her hands like that, right? And then she would warm them up in the pomal and, um, you know, the cast iron griddle. And, uh, and then she'd maybe add eggs into the, um, you know, with the, with the nopalitos. Mm-hmm. And that's what we eat. Yeah. We ate nopalitos nuevo and these delicious tortillas. It was very simple food. Yeah. that um that she made that was delicious that nourished us and um and yeah and I think all of that influenced the way I uh value food you know how I uh work with the artisans who make our food recipes in Mexico um we try to keep things you know simple um all natural ingredients um we try to you know res- with respect to the earth and culinary traditions um and so, yeah, so that's, that's, you know, that's one an- anecdote. Um, the other one I, I wanted to, to share with you is, you know, my, my father, uh, as I mentioned, is from Mexico. Mm-hmm. He did not grow up with a lot of uh, financial resources mm-hmm. in Acuña. Um, you know, he came from, from a, a, a poor background. And in the U.S., you know, he, um, he, he was able to, to uh, 
to treat himself as an adult to, you know, whatever he wanted to eat. And he was very, always very excited about eating. My dad was a big, big lover of eating. You know, as we got older, as adult women, we would encourage him to be a lot healthier with his <laughs> eating habits. Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like my dad. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like your dad. Yeah. They probably knew each other actually. Possibly. Um, yeah. And, um, and so, so, so my father, my father was, uh, I mean, he was way ahead of his time. I remember him like, you know, we would go to Acuña and, and eat tacos and he would to comprar unos tacos. And we'd go and we would get them at these taco trucks, you know, which were like, these play, the taco trucks didn't exist because it was like a hipster thing. No. It was <laughs> out of necessity, guys were selling their tacos out of a truck. So we would go there, we would, you know, order our tacos, we would sit by the curb, we would eat our tacos on the sidewalk, and our agua frescas, and it was delicious, you know, and it was, um, it was, you know, just, it was very normal for us to, to eat like that. And, uh, you know, he also, he would buy um, bolillo bread from the panaria in Mexico, and um, he would toast it Mm -hmm. in the oven, and then he would put aguacate on it. Mm. And it's so funny to me now. I go to these fancy restaurants for brunch. It's like this avocado toast, and I'm like, they're selling you for twelve dollars, <laughs> right? Exactly. And I'm like, my father was doing that like back in the day, and it wasn't considered a gourmet. He was just like, this is delicious. Let's do this. Yeah. So, so that, um, that, that, that was, you know, that all of those things influenced me to, 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 like I was saying before, to, to keep things, you know, simple and natural, and, and, and respect. Uh, for our culture and and um, and our culinary traditions. That's so cool. I know as you were talking about the taco trucks and then you talking about avocado toast, it, these are also thoughts that I've had as I've watched, you know, food trucks spring up here in town and how they've become the thing. And I understand why they're the thing. It's, you know, low overhead entry into the business is a lot easier with a food truck or it has become, I think, a bit easier. Uh, but yeah, some of the fondest memories, actually, it's so funny that I have of my dad are going to Acuña, going to specifically Taco Sacatoy. Oh, forget about it, girl. Know, yeah, it. yeah. And, you know, he would take us and he would order his his 12, his docena. I would get six because that's all I could eat. And then you, you'd always get, I'd get Fanta or I would actually get a Coke. And yeah, we would sit on the side on the sidewalk. And I, I don't know why, I always thought it was so cool that we sat on the sidewalk. <laughs> Across the street from the medical probably, right? Um, when medical was downtown, yeah. yes. Yeah, and they're still there, it's so funny. And yeah. I loved going there. And those are some of like my favorite memories of, uh-huh. of my dad. And then the, across or just around the corner, there's a there was, I don't know if it's still there, a panaderia and we would go yes. there and then you would get a concha, which is one yep. of my favorite breads. And, you know, that's what we would eat. And I loved eating that way. And I still do. We don't, I don't go back home as often as I did in the past, but I love doing that. And then, yes, then the, the whole avocado dose, like that's a separate conversation we could have. Um, but anyways, yeah, that's really sweet. That's so cool. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if you guys would do, I, I, you probably did this too. We would, so when we would go shopping to, so we usually went on Saturdays because my dad was working during the week and then, mm-hmm. you know, Saturday was the day where we would go grocery shopping and we would go to Acuña in, in the late afternoon and we would go to the Mercado and buy aguacates. And in mm-hmm. fact, then you could not cross over Mexican aguacates. And I think part of it, they didn't want to, in retrospect now as an adult, I understand that they didn't want them to compete with, um, you know, American Californian 
I guess Haas avocados, but uh, yeah. And so, so they used to, so they wouldn't allow us to, to bring them across, but you could, the work around that was that you open them up, right? There you go. I know. Yep. Yes. You, you take out the pit. Exactly. <laughs> take out the pit, you put the limes in there so that, that the acidity of the lime keeps the aguacate fresh and keeps it from browning. Yeah. And that's how you would, you, that's how you would bring them across. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. fascinating? It's... I told my friends that story in New York and they're always like, what? And I'm like, that is how good Mexican avocados were preferable to what you could get in the U.S. Like oh. that we would make that specific buy and go through the trouble yeah. to have that. One of the things that my mom always laughs about is my dad would come home with just like kilos, pounds of tomatoes and onions, yeah. and he would bring it from Acuna. And it's like, we have a grocery store, you know, there's here in Del Rio, but she always, and to this day, prefers the stuff coming out of out of Mexico. And so, yeah, we would basically get our produce there. The right. other thing that I remember is eating mangos and guayabas, which do yeah. not taste the same here because we're getting oh. them so much fresher there, right? So we would go, he would wash them in a bag and then we would just like be dripping in mango juice. And then the guayabas, it's like, I don't care how many tacos you had eaten. You have to eat those guayabas because you yes. can't cross them and you're not going to waste them. <laughs> so it's like yes. right up until the point that you get to the checkpoint, you're like shoving guayabas into yes. your mouth. <laughs> Totally. Oh my God. Are you sure we want to be sitting in family? That's I know. Exactly, exactly what we would do. But speaking of guayabas, that's actually another another good memory I have there too. My, I remember my father would have us eat guayabas or he ate, he taught us to eat. The first time we did, I remember being like, my sister and I were like, ew, it was like guayabas on with queso. And oh, we yeah. were like, well, that's, you know, you're a kid, you don't get it. You know, right. it's just like, well, that's an odd combination, you know, like fruit with cheese, yeah. but it's so brilliant. And to this day, I'm like, oh my God, my father was so smart. And where did he learn <laughs> that from? You know, I, it was just, yeah, sometimes he would come up with these concoctions. I mean, now that makes perfect sense now, but as a kid, I was like, why is he doing that? And so, and, and I think in that way too, he kind of taught us to be like really open-minded about different, you know, food combos and, yeah. um, and pairing so um so yeah why oh love why <laughs> that's uh, so cool so I know because I've done you know a little we've talked a little bit already and, and it turns out we do actually well we do know each other from about five years ago <laughs> so um but I know you worked in the fashion industry for about a decade or so is that right mm-hmm. so I won't get into into that too much but I know you were there and the skills that you learned there you brought it to the work that you're doing now with Hernan, which is a specialty foods business that you run here out of, out of Texas. But I guess my question is what drew you to the culinary world or what drew you out of fashion into the work that you're doing now? And I know we're like, we're glossing over a lot, but we've got, I know, I know I've only got you for a short amount of time. So I want to get to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So what happened was, so, during this, uh, I was probably maybe, you know, six to six, six to seven years into my sit into the fashion industry mm-hmm. where I was living in New York City and I was a, a buyer for a department store. Uh, and um, it, I was actually, I had my, it was a dream job. You know, I, I was, as a lot of young women, you know, really attracted to fashion and trends when I was younger. And so when I moved to New York, I wanted to work in the fashion industry. And, um, you know, I was very blessed. I got this you know, great job and, uh, and I was able to work my way up from an assistant buyer associate and then to the buyer. And then I ultimately was doing um, handbag development for the private label for this company. So I worked with factories in Europe, in, in Italy, mm-hmm. um, outside of Florence to um, develop uh, handbags 
for the department store that I work for. And, and I loved that. I loved working with the producers in, in, um, in Italy to this day. I'm so fascinated by like the smell of, of leather. And I really enjoyed it. And I was really good at it. You know, for us, uh, well, being really good at it meant that, you know, I was always m- meeting and exceeding my sales expectations, mm-hmm. margin expectations. I, I really do believe in my heart of heart um, that I'm a merchant. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love creating products, understanding my consumers and creating products for them, working with the producers to create products. And I'm really good at it. I enjoy it. And I'm passionate about it. But at some point, I did find myself having this sort of um, existential dilemma mm-hmm. with my career and thinking, what is this all about? Uh, what for? Like, really, do women need to be changing their handbags every three to six months? Um, and, but I really enjoyed it. So it's like, is there, it got me to think, like, is there a way for me to combine this talent that I have as a merchant that I enjoy doing with something that's more personally meaningful to me? and socially rewarding. Mm -hmm. So around the same time that I was having these questions with myself, which um, I don't think that's unusual. I think at this point I was probably in my late twenties when I was questioning this. I I don't think that's unusual for someone at that age to go through that, it happens to everyone. Um, And so around the same time, my father passed away and I returned to to Texas, to Del Rio to help my mom with, um, you know, with some of his affairs or, you know, matters. And when I returned, I returned with, you know, perspective. At that point, I had already, you know, been gone from home for about a decade, you know, between going to school in upstate New York. I had studied abroad a couple semesters in Europe. You know, I lived in New York City for some years at that point. And so I returned back to my hometown, you know, along the border with a different perspective. And while I was there, I got involved with community development work. And I was also going back and forth, visiting friends in New York City. And when I was going back to New York City and now with this different perspective and being in Del Rio, I was noticing how popular Mexican food had become. And I haven't looked at the number recently. I think back then it was around a $50 billion industry. And yeah, big. And so Mexican food in New York City, specifically in restaurants was like, very, very popular. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't like a dollar tacos. You were talking about like, you know, three tacos, $20. And so, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier about how you're seeing all this happening in Austin. Well, yeah, this was happening. In, this was around what, I guess, early 2000s, mid 2000s, 2004-ish, five-ish or so. And it, it got me thinking like, well, if people wanted to make this food at home in an authentic manner, how would they do it? Because I, I know I grew up with those things. I grew up with the comal, with the tortilla press, with the molinillo, with yeah. the morcajete, um, with all the ingredients being so close to, you know, Mexico. I, it was, you know, easy, relatively easy for us to, to um, have access to these things. They, and I think if you're in the Southwest, maybe it's still, I wouldn't say easy, but, you know, it's, 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 it's um, you have more access. Once you leave the Southwest, it becomes a lot harder to, um, to get these items get quality items as well authentically crafted in Mexico yeah because I've seen multi-hits from China and <laughs> those are interesting but anyway so uh so yeah so so that so so having that perspective and coming back and and thinking about you know sort of what my next move was in my career that's what started to get me thinking about the possibility of developing a brand that was known for premium Mexican culinary goods. And the idea was not at first to start with uh, with food. In fact, 
you know, I, in the back of my mind, I thought if I ever did food products, it would be like a maybe co-branding thing with, um, with entities in Mexico. So it started with the kitchenware line. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was if you wanted to prepare, cook and serve Mexican food at home in an authentic manner, you would use our product. So ah. cookware, prep tools and serveware. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, within like a year or two, I realized that one of our top items was the Molinillo, yes. frother, mm-hmm. uh, which I have a whole big collection here of. <laughs> Uh, like 50 Molinillos in, um, as decorations here. But yeah, so, uh, so the Molinillo was one of our top items, which um, if, if, I don't know if your listeners know what a Molinillo is, but it's for uh, preparing Mexican hot chocolate. It's a very traditional Mexican kitchen tool and you find them in every Mexican kitchen. There's different kinds, different variations, different qualities, different wood. And they're so beautiful, typically. Beautiful. I've always been fascinated by just how beautiful they are. They're beautiful and the way they make them mm-hmm. is, um, is so special and it really is the kind of craftsmanship that's that's passed down from generation to generation, mm-hmm. which a lot of the, uh, you know, even the molcajete too, you know, it's it's craftsmanship that's passed down from generation to generation. So the idea was to to pair the molinillo with a Mexican hot chocolate mm-hmm. to sew with it. And that is what got me into the food space. when I When I started to do the market research about Mexican chocolate, I realized that um, the Mexican chocolates that were available in the U.S. were from that were actually from Mexico were still some of the same ones that we grew up with. Like they hadn't changed. Yeah, I know exactly the two brands that you're talking about. Yes, exactly, yeah. and that's fine. You know, we all grew up with them. Yeah, that's cool. But I wanted I wanted it to 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 market one that was um, authentically crafted in Mexico, made using Mexican cacao beans. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was more artisanal and where we could really tell the story of where the cacao came from and so forth. And, you know, the indigenous use of cacao, uh, which is, you know, it's it, a lot of people. It turns out that a lot of um, people don't even know that that Mexico is a birthplace of chocolate yeah. or drinking chocolate. Yeah. You know, ma- many people think it's a European thing and it's yeah, I see you shaking. Yeah, your head, yeah. But... I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Right, right. And so that's, that's how I got into the food space. And I you know, what was really exciting about that is that within a year or two of, I don't think it was more than a year, yeah, it was about a year of launching that product, we received our first um, food award, which is called the Sophie. Uh-huh. And that's kind of a, that's like an Oscar in the specialty food world um, that was presented to us by the Specialty Food Association. And so, um, so that was really, you know, exciting and inspiring and what motivated me to, to do more in the food space. Um, from there, then came the launch of our Mole Poblano, yeah. which also received an award. Uh, after the mole, then we launched the pipian, and you know now the Mexican um, the hot chocolate line has like four or five variations in it. Um, and we just recently launched a new flavor, Mexican hot chocolate con café, oh, which I'm so excited about, by the way. Sabor de Chiapas, yeah. Oh, I'll have to send you some. Yeah, and there's you know plans in the works for other food products. And ultimately, what I what I uh, what I love about Hernan, what I'm what I'm doing is we're telling stories about Mexico mm-hmm. people and our culinary, culinary traditions and sharing them with the world. That's so cool. Cause what I, when you were talking about, you know, you, you had this very successful business in the fashion industry, you 
were good and are still good at what you do, which it sounds like is making these connections, but you also have a real appreciation for the craftsmanship, whether it was, you know, the leather that was turning into these handbags or now the cacao that's being grown and the coffee that's being grown by the farmers in Mexico. And so I love that you've taken this thing that you were really good at and taken it into this, you know, world that has a real connection for you because of, you know, your background and, and your roots and things like that. So I love that. I don't know, you've, you've done this little shift and it's something that I'm seeing more and more in the food industry and in smaller businesses, which I know uh, when I reached out to you, I talked to you about one or two businesses that I kind of follow on the periphery that I, I really think are doing some interesting things. So I, one, I think I, lo I love that you've taken those skills and you've put them to use in such a beautiful way that it's not just, you know, out to make up a, a buck or anything like that, but you're really trying to tell the stories of the roots of these products. Like you said, it's like, People think chocolate comes from Europe and it's like, no, nah, dude, it was, you know, the Aztecs were drinking it in the Mayans and, and all of that. And it's, and it's really such a cool thing. I have a book that I've been reading for many, many years. I can't seem to finish it, but it's about the history of chocolate and, and it gets into so much of that, um, the background of it and how it was grown and why they were drinking it and how it was being prepared and things like that. So that's neat. And the story behind the spuma. Yeah. You know, like uh -huh. why like frothy hot chocolate? Like, why is that important? Why is that a thing? Even, you know, I, you know, I, get, I tend to get very heady with things generally, but I'm especially heady with, with the um, concept of having frothy chocolate drinks, mm -hmm. which is something that dates back, you know, to the Mayans. And they used to have, you know, these, um, like, I guess, you know, what is that? culinary showed where the competition like chop it was like the Mayan version of chop where they would like compete to see who could make like the frothiest chocolate drinks there's this Mayan glyph uh -huh. that I saw that um it shows like a Mayan lord who's being presented with this big like caro like a ceramic caro mm -hmm. of of presumably a chocolate drink and it's got all this, this big old head of froth on it and you know froth was really important to the minds back then because to them that was the spirit of the drink you know that is what where you could smell all the ingredients that were involved in the drink and it was like that was the life that was the spirit of the drink That's okay. and so um I think there's something and I'm trying to um when I have the time to do more research on it, maybe I don't even, I doubt anybody's even written on this, but there must be a connection, I think, between the idea of having frothy hot chocolate mm. with marshmallows on top of hot chocolate. Because I'm like, where, where is this whole, uh, like the marshmallow thing, like that is so random. But when you really think about it, you know, marshmallows is sort of like that, like that fluffy, airy, mm -hmm. cushiony thing on top of chocolate. And so there must be something there. I think that probably does come from Europe. I was thinking the same come, thing. Yeah, but it must come from this idea that like Europeans somehow saw that the indigenous people really valued this froth on top. Yeah. And so, so anyway, uh, I, yeah, that's something that I've been going over and, um, yeah. Yeah. I'll have to send you uh, the name of the book and I think you'll, you'd really enjoy it. And it might answer that question. Cause I'm just thinking about, you know, Europeans and, and, and it was all about showing your wealth through the food that you were eating. So by adding cream to chocolate, it was another sign of wealth, adding sugar to it. So marshmallows might be a substitute for mm -hmm. cream, but I won't go down that road right now. Um, 
So I'm well, sugar, but you're right because the sugar thing didn't come. That that was a European exactly, influence yeah. Because all the Indians would not put sugar. No. They were bitter chocolate drinks mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm curious. So one of the things that I've been seeing again is like in, in a lot of these smaller businesses, much like yours, there are some real guiding principles to the work that you know that they're doing and that I think that you're doing. So I, it's a two part question. One. What principles guide you when connecting with artisans and producers? And then two, do you feel like a steward of their work? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, You know, I'm the most joyful when I'm with the artisans and producers and they're, they're talking about their work mm. and their products and how they make them and the ingredients and and I'm I, I find myself really excited and that's what turns me on mm-hmm. I guess for lack of a better word I I I love partnering with them and creating you know using what they're already doing well and partnering them to create what they're already doing well with our specifications for our brand mm-hmm. because everything is branded Hernan right now you know I am a steward in the, in the sense that, you know, like we're not, I did not invent Mexican hot chocolate, right? Mexican <laughs> hot chocolate has been around yeah. for a while. But, you know, obviously I work with them to create recipes specific for our brand. And I'm a steward of the work that they've been doing um, for a long time, many of them for generations. In the case, in the case of our, um, actually in both of the food products I do, it's if they're three generations, oh, wow. uh, both families. Um, and, and certainly in the case of the, you know, the, 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 the group that we work with in the ceramics too, and the Molinos and yeah, it's generations of people who have been making, who've been doing this work. And so, so what I, I'm not, you know, I didn't create that. Um, I, I work with them sometimes to make things specific, like in the case of our ceramics or things that are specific for our brand, but they've been doing this work for a very long time. And so what I'm doing is I'm working with them to create products specific for our brand, figuring out how to get them from where they're made to where we exist, which is in Del Rio. That's where our warehouse is. And then sending them out to the world Mm -hmm. to enjoy and learn from and delight in. So in that sense, yes, steward, also like a bridge. Yeah. uh, Cultures, right? Sort of like a culinary, like cultural, um, I don't know, ambassador, Mm -hmm. I guess. And, um, you know, exposing people to our traditions, you know, promoting our, 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 our culture. And, you know, that we were talking about the Mexican, you know, chocolate, a lot of people, it turns out now, now that I've been doing this for a while, I don't know that it's indigenous to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to get to a point where it's just common knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, just like, yeah, salsas, like, of course, that's a Mexican thing that people think, yeah, chocolate, it's a Mexican thing. Yeah. Where it's not a surprising thing anymore. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, did, did that answer your question? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think there really is, um, like so much of what's happening, I feel like in the world and especially depending on the generation, right. There's this real desire to honor, especially if what you're working in is tied to your cultural background. So serving as an ambassador, just like you said, and honoring, the, the roots of, of where we come from through the products that you're selling, the food that we eat, and how do you do that in a way that honors the work that they're doing without, compl- without cutting them out, basically. They, they become 
a lot of times, like, you know, you, you think of the chocolates that me and you're familiar with. It's like, where does that cacao come from? Like, who are the people that are growing it? And you have a real connection to that. Like, if I asked you, you could probably name the farmer, or, you know. So I, I love that I'm seeing more and more of that in the specialty food industry. And mm -hmm. there's a real story behind it. I know for a lot of people, like anything, it can become greenwashing, but I think a lot of the businesses that are doing it well, they're doing it because they truly believe in that work. And then, you know, there's things tied up with sustainability um, and the environment, which I think is also really beautiful because that's important to me. So I love mm -hmm. that you're doing that with, you know, these Mexican products. Yeah, and, and you would ask me like, what, what do I look for when I, when I work with artists and producers? So we, we also, I don't know if I answered that question, but we also, um, you know, try, we, we partner with, with uh, artists and groups uh, and producers who are looking to scale and are interested in exporting. Um, I, I have found a myriad of people who do really good work in Mexico and create these delicious products in the case of food. And oftentimes, you know, they're, they're okay with the amount that they're producing mm -hmm. and, you know, almost cottage level industry type. And I'd love, love, <laughs> love to you know, bring some of that over, but it's, it's a challenge to have that scalability. And for what we're doing, um, it can be even more challenging. So sometimes, you know, in the case like that, we do present the option and I'd love to work with them, but they're okay with where they're at and, and, that, and that's fine, yeah, you know, absolutely. and, and that's totally fine. Uh, but so I definitely look for people who are open to and want to um, to scale and export. And, uh, you know, always, we always try, try to be very uh, conscientious of the production process and, and try not to, at the end of the day, like we try to maintain the integrity of the product. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll obviously keeping in mind, you know, what um, our market segment what will appeal to them but maintaining the integrity of the product and I, I think that with the products that we have so far with our food products we've done a really good job of, of doing that yeah. like they're true, they're still true true to their origins yeah that's so cool I love that I love that I love that yeah I like and I, I think it could be an evolution right like if you start working with a farmer who maybe doesn't want to do that but down the road you know they might want to work with you and they say, oh, okay, I can see what you're doing. And so much of it is about just building trust, right? And a relationship with these producers, especially if you're coming in from as a quote unquote foreigner. I, I don't know if you even still, we grew up in the States, but I, sometimes I go to Mexico. And I'm like, yes, I am technically Mexican by birth, not by birth. Well, that's a whole different story. But anyways, <laughs> we're not from Mexico, so we can still be seen as foreigners, I think, in some respects. So it's like, how do you say like, well, I, I can understand where you're coming from because my, my parents and there's roots there and I want to honor it. And it's about building a relationship and trust. And I, I can imagine that can take years. It's not like just overnight. You're like, hey, I want to buy your chocolate and make it into chocolate. And yeah, no, it doesn't happen. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot easier. No, it takes, it definitely takes yeah, some time. Yeah, uh, yeah um, for sure. So I'm curious, you know, Hernan's been around for what now? 12 years. 12 years. Wow. Where would you love to see it and say, if five, five years seems feasible for you to look out that far ahead, where would you love to see it then? So um, before COVID. Uh -huh. so <laughs> before COVID. <laughs> We were mainly focused on um, 
you know, our wholesale and food service yeah. uh, side of the business. So we would sell primarily to stores who then we sell our product um, and then to restaurants and cafes who would serve our products. That was the bulk of our business. Okay. We, uh, we've, you know, for as long as I can remember, we've had a website um, and people did purchase on our site, but it wasn't a big percentage of our business, uh, again, before COVID. Um, since COVID, uh, we have seen a tremendous uh, growth That's in cool. our web sales. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it having to do with, um, you know, people just becoming more comfortable with purchasing food without necessarily having like the requisite sampling that you would normally get at a store, right. uh, which was, that's the traditional model of, you know, introducing someone to a new food product is through sampling. Mm-hmm. And when you're not able to do that at the store, the challenge was how do you get somebody to sample it if, you know someone to buy it if you're not going to sample it but covid brought us this opportunity because people just became comfortable with that idea you know and i think people just became more willing to do it because it was almost like it's an experience to try something that you've never tried yeah (laughs) so um so yeah so our 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 web business has definitely uh picked up uh a lot you know thank god we've been blessed and um and so so i do see us within the next five years continuing to um to grow that part and build a, the direct link to the consumer. Yeah. So we're building this brand directly with the consumer. Um, we probably will still be selling to stores and restaurants, but I really like uh, the idea of being able to directly touch the consumer um, through on, our online sales. And so I think that's going to be a bigger part of our business. I also um, have plans to roll out to um, other food uh items mm-hmm. so even within our existing i mentioned the mexican hot chocolate con cafe that's brand new that just happened this year uh you know we're working on another mole flavor and then there's other there's a mexican snack product mm-hmm. that uh, is going to be awesome Ooh, i'm excited I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> mexican uh, snacks like all of those i just so good. So, so good. Cause you get all the, you get all these textures of like sweet and salty, spicy, and then, you know, uh-huh. crunchy. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm excited. <laughs> yes. Game changer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that I'm very, I'm very, very excited about that. And so, yeah. And so, and so, you know, and through our products continue to tell these stories about mm-hmm. Mexico um, and roll out to other foods and items that are made in other parts of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm really excited about the the prospect of doing more out of you know the west coast like baja mm. the, the wine country region um they you know i've i've been to a few places there that have some really interesting um they've got some interesting you know food things happening and uh, i'd like to incorporate those into our line at some point also back here in the east coast you know over Yuc- the yucatan peninsula and veracruz there's some interesting things happening so continuing to build on on these stories and then you know now that we are doing more online you know, we probably will be doing a lot more video work with our producers oh. as well. So they're telling the stories directly um, from them yeah. to our consumer. Uh, and so I'm really excited about the, you know, about doing that too. So, uh, so yeah, so a, a lot, a lot in the next five that years. So, I love that you're, you're expanding out of the normal, the very well-known range of Mexican food products. Cause you're, I, I do feel like it, it becomes isolated to certain like tacos and enchiladas. And it, of course it becomes very regional depending on where you're at. But I know as I've traveled more in Mexico, I've just been exposed to the breadth and variety of food 
that is found within Mexico. And I'm like, I've never had that. Or, oh my gosh, why yeah. does nobody know about this? It's amazing. Right. So I love that you're continuing to expose, you know, your audience to the, to those, to that world, I should say. That's really Thank very, you. very, very cool. So, cause it's like, yeah, yeah, we're not just, we're not just tacos and, you know, right. <laughs> we're a lot more than tacos and salsa. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I've got one more question for you because I know you got to go. So aside from Mexican hot chocolate, what is your favorite thing to make with Hernan chocolate? Well, you realize I'm drinking my Mexican (laughs) chocolate right now. (laughs) So this is your number one. I have a feeling. (laughs) Yeah. So. um, Which is totally fair. (laughs) I love, love our Mexican hot chocolate. I mean, every time I have it, it's like I'm having it for the first time. That's so cool. It's, mm, I mean, it's so, it's chocolatey mm. without being too overly sweet. And then just a hint of cinnamon to make it interesting. Yeah. And you can really have, I don't know if you can see how big my mug oh. is, but you could really have a big mugs full of it and um, and feel great afterwards. You know how sometimes when you, when you, when you drink some chocolates or some sweet drinks and even after two sips, you're like, uh, no, I don't feel like yeah. that ever with our hot chocolate. That's so cool. And whether it's with almond milk or oat milk or uh, whole milk, it's it's delicious. And um, and I'm really proud to say that I'm not the only one that thinks that. <laughs> Apparently a lot of people think that too. Uh, we get that a lot from a lot of people. And so, um, so yeah, so your question, what's my favorite thing to make? It's my Mexican heart. That's yeah, so, as a drink, awesome. hot chocolate. That's so yeah. cool. And in the summertime, it's great as ice. So, I know. I um, need to try that. I really, I've never had Mexican hot, well, I guess it's not iced chocolate at that point, but I, I feel like it's something I need to explore this year. Try it. Try it I'll send you some. You make it hot first, put it in the refrigerator for like 30 minutes or so to cool down and then pour it over ice. Oh, Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Delicious. Well, I absolutely love what you're doing, the way that you're guiding your business, um, the way you're honoring, you know, our roots. I think it's beautiful. So where can people find Hernan? How, you know, where are you on social media? How can people get your products into their homes? Yeah. So social media, Hernan Mexico, uh-huh. uh, website is also hernanmexico.com. And that's probably the easiest. That's where you find the, um, the extent of our line is the full extent of our line is available through our website. Um, and then it's also found in specialty and gourmet stores around the country as well. So uh, not all custom, not all of our wholesale customers carry all of our lines. Some of them just carry our chocolate. Some of them carry the chocolate and the mole. Some of them carry just crypto. So it just depends. But if you want to see the full extent of our line, please visit our website, hernanmexico.com. Awesome. Well, Isela, thank you so much for giving me, you know, a part of your day. It was so good to reconnect. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. That was really good. And I definitely want to circle back me. with you and we need to we need to connect since we're not that far away from each other and, and talk a little bit more about just all of the other things that we have in common. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, for reaching out and uh, including me in your podcast. I appreciate yeah. it. It was a real treat to reconnect with Isela, learn more about Hernan and how she's sharing her roots through food. If you'd like to buy some of her award-winning Mexican chocolate to try out that cold Mexican chocolate drink she mentioned in the episode, be sure to check out the website hernanmexico.com. You can also find Hernan on Instagram 
at Hernan Mexico. Also, friendly reminder that if you like today's episode and you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and share it with your friends. I'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, enjoy a delicious cup of chocolate caliente or perhaps some iced Mexican chocolate. Hasta pronto.